dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. When you read the lives of the saints, you can get the impression that things were pretty easy for them. After all, they're the saints. It looks like their life just kind of rolls along and they do wonderful things for God. A far cry from what we have to go through. When you read the life, however, of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, that impression can change. This was a woman of terrific courage who faced amazing hardships and endured. Hey everybody, I'm so glad to be able to spend this time preaching the good word to you about the lives of the saints as they exemplified for us extraordinary courage in their leadership. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. The reason I'm doing this is because I expect and want you to do the same. The future of evangelism in the country will not survive based upon the heroic actions of various institutions or programs institutions and programs have never saved anybody let's just be honest with you what the institutions and programs do is they give a platform so that heroic people who have faith in their hearts can stand upon that platform and make echo the announcement of the gospel and the invitation to know jesus christ from the inside and give your life to him but those heroic people, they themselves aren't the fruit of institutions and programs. They are the fruit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and terrific acts of courage. And after 17 years of ministry with Eagle Eye Ministries as I've, as I, that I founded and been working with now, the young adults of this world, I am more than ever convinced that our world is not waiting for a gospel that comes to it in a pre-canned formula. It's too easy to dismiss that. You can dismiss a book. You can dismiss a podcast. You can dismiss a set of ideas. What you can't dismiss is the heart of your friend, of a person who knows you and whom you know and who witnesses to you by their life and by their words and by their inner convictions to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's by relationships, real relationships with real people that the gospel message is best ex explained. And yet at the same time as I realize this, I'm amazed to see what a lack we have in exactly that witness. We have lawyers who have for working for firms with hundreds of people in those firms and enjoying a position of status in our society because of their knowledge, their hard work, their incredible skill, and yet who never use that position in order to better their working environment or better the lives of people that are in an explicitly Christian fashion. I mean, evangelism, yes, it's all about inviting people to know Jesus. And when was the last time that we did that? 
either explicitly by actually telling the person about your faith or answering an honest question or bearing witness. I'm thinking of my friends I know who are physicians and who do not prescribe the birth control pill because they're Roman Catholics. And the way that they've been made to suffer even by other Catholics uh, because of that. And yet they've been able to persevere because of their faith in Christ and their knowledge that this that the, the, the beauty of God's plan for sexuality needs to be defended by people who are there on the front lines. I call this heroic leadership. And I'm using examples that are more religious of nature, but you can think of the heroic leadership of the business owner who decides to cut their salaries in half during the middle of an epidemic or a pandemic in order to help their, their people survive or doesn't lay the people off and, and takes the extra risk that's necessary to take care of their families. That's heroic leadership. Heroic leadership is in the families that you see adopting children, the families open to life, the families that don't shut their, their doors to the needs of other families around them. The fact is the gospel today rides on the shoulders of those who heroically make it resound. And I want just to underscore this. I'm thinking of Catholic radio and the terrific work that is done by people in Catholic radio. And yet all these radio stations that I know of, they all started by people who just, just, just decided to do something to spread the gospel and to make, and then they had to go through all kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of difficulties in order to make it happen. And too many people take it for granted. We think it's great institutions or it's great, you know, organizations that somehow give birth to themselves. No, great institutions and great organizations were begun by great individuals who put themselves on the line and brought something to be there where there was nothing before. And we owe them a terrific amount of credit. It's just part and parcel of the American experience that our country was shaped by people who sacrificed when there was nothing because of the vision they had of what would be there one day. And it's the same for the church. And that's why I want to look at the lives of the saints and understand their own acts of courage and their own difficulties that they went through so that they become a little bit more real for us. And so that we can become a little bit more real in our own discipleship and the need for our own heroism in the places where Christ has asked us to lead. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us. Illumine our hearts and our minds. Open us to hearing your voice today and inspiring us to dare great things for you and for your Father's glory. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to talk to you about a, a friend, someone I just really love and esteem, and it is St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. This woman is famous. We have high schools named after her, Cabrini Green, hospital systems named after her, She's especially more famous for the folks who were alive in the 50s because she was the first U.S. citizen to ever be canonized a Catholic saint in the history of the church. The first American-born uh, saint was, of course, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and she was canonized in 1975. 
St. Francis Xavier Cabrini was canonized in 1950, and that made her a real celebrity. But before she was canonized, she was already a celebrity because of the, the, just the prolific amount of work and successful work that she did for the poor. And as we all know, work done on behalf of the poor is not quickly forgotten and is very, very appreciated. And so here you have kind of a Mother Teresa figure before Mother Teresa. And the story of her life is, is encouraging to us because we see in it uh, the story of the cross of Jesus Christ triumphant despite a woman's frailties and difficulties because of her terrific energy and constant desire to fight through whatever comes her way in order to bring relief and to, uh, to the poor and to serve the needs of the underprivileged. And in this, she's a complete champion, but it wasn't easy. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. You know, looking at the life of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, you, it's almost like reading the storybook of the, of the littlest engine that could, right? This is a woman who just simply would not say no to God. I'm thinking of a quote by Mother Teresa of Calcutta where she once said, becoming a saint is easy. All you have to do is say yes to God. And that could have very well been the story of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini because this is a woman who said yes to God despite all odds. True story, she was born in 1850 as the youngest of a family of 13 children. So her parents were already older. By the time she hit her 20s, her parents had already passed away. So she, she had to go through the death of her, of her parents when she was fairly young. And even when she was growing up, it was mostly her brothers and sisters that were caring for her. And to top it all off, this last child of a family of 13, thank goodness her parents were open to life, right? Their, their last one, the 13th child, happened to be a Catholic saint who transformed the lives of millions of people. I just say that in passing because a lot of times people think, oh goodness, all these Catholics having babies all the time. Let's be sure each child has a mission from God and each child is wanted in this world and needed because we need more agents and actors out there doing things for God than, we, than ever before. So now is the time to have more children and not less. And here she was 13th of, in her family. And when she was born, she was born two months premature. So of course, at that time, especially, that meant that she was frail of health. She was constantly sickly, so much so that even though she was inspired by the nuns who taught her in the school system there in near Milan, Italy, Italy even though she was inspired by them and she wanted to become one, they actually rejected her. So now you've got a 20-year-old who loves Jesus Christ enough that want, she wants to be a missionary and go and convert people. She was very influenced by the, the hearing the mission speakers come in and talk about the, the different endeavors of the church in China. She wanted to go to the East, right? So how neat to see that. You kind of think, I think about all the organizations and the people who brought in those mission speakers, right? 
And I think about the lives and the time that those mission speakers took to speak to some high school students in Italy, right? You could think they don't have time for this or whatever, but they did it. And what did they do? They inspired the heart of this young woman to give everything to Jesus Christ. And you think, you know, that's, that's the place of youth ministry in our church and our efforts towards the youth. It always seems like the youth aren't worth it. And yet sitting there for those presentations was young Cabrini, a woman whose life would save millions and who left an impact on American and world history that lasts to this day. And she was inspired by those speakers. So she herself wanted to become a missionary and was turned down by the religious orders. So a priest who noticed that she had such devotion and such energy told her, listen, why don't you found your own order? And so she did. That's absolutely amazing. You know how old she was? 30. 30 years old. Not today, our 30-year-olds, you know, they can't even get a job. And yet this woman at 30 years old starts her own religious order and starts to work with the, uh, the abandoned and running schools and catechizing children all around Italy. And she has so much energy as she does it that by the time she's 39 years old, she's, she gains the attention of the Pope. And she actually has the ability because, again, she's, she's working so hard that they give her an audience with the Pope. She goes to see Leo Thirteenth, and she tells him she wants to go to China to become a missionary. So you can see this. So now 39 years of her life, she's a mature woman. She's seasoned. She's done so much already. She's run schools. She's overseen hospitals. She's worked with orphanages. She founded a religious community. And you'd think, okay, that the Pope would now say, you can have your dream. And the Pope says, not to the East. I send you to the West. And so, well, that's quite a shift. So what does she do? Well, she doesn't complain about it. She instead goes to the Italian immigrants in the United States of America. Interesting story about her is when she was young, she nearly drowned as a small girl. So she was terrified of drowning and of the water. And I can understand that she went through a trauma, right? A lot of us have done that in our lives. We've gone through traumas and those traumas can, can leave us, you know, really handicapped in many ways. She had one of those handicaps. And do you know that she crossed the ocean on a boat with a fear of drowning 27 times? We can't let our fears overcome the love of Jesus Christ in our souls. I find it remarkable that Jesus Christ actually asked her to confront that fear 27 times. On her boat ride from Europe to the United States, for example, her very first one, it was 12 days long. They went through a storm that nearly sunk the ship. And then they had freezing weather conditions. It was just a horrible trip. So what did she and her sisters do? Instead of sitting there around and pouting, they went and took care of everyone else on the boat. They spent their trip taking care of the poor who were immigrating to America from Italy. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you love to be there and be that occasion? She, she didn't allow her fear to dominate her. How many of us can say the same? I think a lot of times we allow our fears to actually steer us instead. This is not the path of the saints. And we think, well, there's no way God would ask me to confront my fears. And I'm telling you, there is. 27 times that woman crossed the ocean. At one point, she even had a ticket for the Titanic. True story. She was going to be on the Titanic one on its maiden voyage. 
it's a good thing for the world that she was late that day and missed the boat and got the ticket rescheduled for a different boat. And that's anyway, because especially with the fear of drowning, you could imagine what that would have done to her. A very small woman, slight of stature, who then at age 40 starts off for America. Now, you know the truth of this. In her religious life, she died at age 67. So you have a basic religious span of about 37 years, say 40 years if you want to be generous, of life. She founded 67 institutions in those 37 years of religious life. 67 institutions. One for every year that she lived. And when she died, she died as she was making Christmas cookies for poor Italian immigrant kids uh, in, in Chicago. And they have a chapel there to this day where you can go and venerate her remains. And I encourage you to do so. Why? Because we need her brand of courage. I want to tell you about her life story. I want to tell you about what she had to face and the obstacles she had to overcome. Because when you can see them, you can also better understand what Christ is calling for from us today. There is no saint without courage. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. I think when we look today at, at what we expect from the lives of saints, we expect a lot of them just to be kind of a smooth sailing machine. Why? Because we expect that from ourselves. I don't know, you know, if this is just a, a symptom of the times, but we all expect that our life is supposed to go smoothly. And that if it's not going smoothly, we must be doing something wrong. You know, and so when it doesn't go smoothly, we beat ourselves up. We allow ourselves to criticize our, you know, ourselves. We're our own worst enemy because we see it as a sign of sure failure that things are rocky and not right. And what I, which drives me crazy, and this is especially for those of you who are involved in the business world, you know this. As soon as things get rocky, everyone turns around. They're like, where's your strategic plan? You know, and you try to show them this 35 page, doc, page document that you created, you know, and it's in it when they're like, well, isn't it in the plan? What are you supposed to do? The plan's not clear. The objectives aren't well defined. You know, the thing that makes us successful in business is our ability to pivot, to move, to change, to be agile. And yet that's also what makes us subject to so much criticism by people who are not in the seat and who are not making it happen. It takes a lot of, of thick skin for, for you to make it where you are in the world today. And the biggest thing, threat to that, to us and to our confidence, doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the voices in our head saying, it shouldn't be this way. We should have organized it. We should have planned better. We should have just made it so it would be a smooth sail. You know, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini arrived in New York City with seven young women from Italy. And when their boat docked and they got off, well, they weren't welcomed warmly at all. In fact, there was no money ready for them from the bishop who had asked for them. It just wasn't available. And their hosts had simply neglected to prepare for their coming. So they spent their first night in a, a crowded, dirty room, these four sisters in a tenement on the lower west side of New York City. No food, no cleanliness, 
hardly any shelter to speak of. They were living in the slums. Right? Now you think she came all the way from Italy to a brand new country and she gets greeted with, with nothing except the conditions of the worst of them. So you think the sisters could say, oh my gosh, we're brides of Christ. We shouldn't be doing this. This is terrible. No. They turned around and started to help the people near them. They would beg, going door to door, Mother St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Could you imagine a saint knocking on your door and asking for money? <laughs> Could you just imagine that? What would you say? What would you have said? Some Italian nun says, ah, oh, we have no money. Would you please help us? Would you help them? Well, that's what they did every single day. They'd beg for their subsistence, and then they just started helping, training the kids, helping the families, putting things together, finding shelter, taking care of everyone. And immediately they turned on what was an uh, opposition, a challenge, even a failure. I mean, the coldness and the rejection that they met from the very people that had invited them who did not support them because they simply decided that they were there for Jesus Christ. And wherever the poor were, there Jesus was, they started the ministry right there. Eventually, they got this, the, the support of a, of a very wealthy woman who ended up uh, getting them a place which was, they founded an orphanage. And they transformed their own living quarters into an orphanage for the poorest of the poor. That, of course, spread like wildfire because when the bishops heard that there's this woman who was able to do that and then start orphanages and schools all throughout the city and at the same time be able to recruit all of the incoming sisters. You can imagine the pressure that was on this young woman's shoulders. And I say young woman because by now she's only 50 years old. And there at 50 years old, she's already, you know, known throughout the country because of the successful work that she's done. And now she's got to deal with the emotions of the sisters and training the new sisters and recruiting the new sisters while she's looking for benefactors for the places, while she's being turned down. There's an example, for example, of when she, when she founded Columbus Hospital in Chicago, she had a feeling that in fact they were the 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 the, biz, the business people that she was buying the land from were cheating her. She was like these numbers on the contract they seem a little bit small. I don't I think our property is actually bigger than that. And so the sisters they had to sign the contract the next day. So she and the sisters tied shoelaces together, if you can believe this, into the length of you know a, a measurement that they had to make. And then using this shoe length, the shoestrings tied together, they remeasured the property at night and found out that in fact, yeah, the, the guys were cheating them. They were cheating the nuns. And so she readjusted the numbers in her favor, founded that hospital, which is still there to this day, a, a place where she would eventually die. She was attentive to all those details. You can imagine the business savvy of having to sign contracts, create management structures, buy land, you know, and then deal with the people that look down on you because you were an Italian, you were an immigrant. And the heroism of, of she and her sisters, it was just amazing. For example, when she went to New Orleans, she went down there because, of course, there, there were, the Italian immigrants were the working poor of their day. And they were dealing with all of the jobs that were the most difficult, the mining and working in the hot swamps and all this. And there was, in that part of the country at that time, there was some uh, racial tensions that led to Italian men actually getting killed. And there was an outbreak of the yellow fever 
Now, if you know what the yellow fever was all about, it was a horrible thing. It actually changed the entire social status of New Orleans at the time. Because if you were acclimated by making it through the epidemic once, then you'd be able to be competitive for jobs, et cetera, because it meant that you'd be able to survive. And if you, if you could get the, if you got the yellow fever, 50% of the people died. In, in one year, for example, New Orleans lost 8,000 of its citizens. Sometimes when the, when the yellow fever outbreaks would happen, 10% of the city would die. It was actually, it got the nickname for New Orleans was actually the city of the dead. I mean, it's just a terrible, a terrible situation. And you wouldn't want to get this disease. It, it's a horrible thing. You have jaundice and fever and you end up bleeding out of different aspects of your body. That's just a horrific way to die. And the sisters went there. They went there because these people were dying and leaving their, their children orphaned. And so for the love of Christ, they sent their sisters who went down there into the epidemic. You know, and at this time, no one's calling her saint. No one's giving her accolades. She's journeying across the ocean. One time she was, she was asked to found a place. She founded 67 institutions on three continents. And when they asked for her in Chile, she had to sail all the way around the southern tip, of course, of South America to get to Chile from New York. And as they got there, a hurricane came and their ship had a dock in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and scuttled their trip. So Mother Cabrini and the other sister got on muleback and crossed 17,000 foot mountains in, in, of the Andes to get over to Chile from Buenos Aires. On donkeys, two women, alone in a foreign country, and they make it happen for the love of God. The heroism, you know, when she came out to Denver, the, there was Italian immigrants there, and so the people gave her land and said, you can have this bit of land up there, but of course there was no water, there's an old pond that the sisters could use, but it, it, there is no water. And so the sisters were saying, look, we can't keep using this water. The kids are getting sick. It's all gross and disgusting. How can we keep this camp al alive, working with these girls without water? Mother Cabrini said, turn over that stone over there and dig. And the sister did, and then they struck water. And she said that that water will never go out as long as we're doing God's work here. And that water's still flowing to this day, a beautiful spring at the Cabrini Shrine. The miracles, the stories, they all came through an incredible spirit from a woman who was frail, who came from a family that was large, who came from in an immigrant situation to a foreign country, and who turned every challenge into opportunity because she wouldn't quit. Our life here is not supposed to be easy, my friends. The time for leadership and heroes is never an easy time. And it's exactly at those times that God is calling us to rise and to put our hands to the plow and to get the job done for love of him and for his son, no matter what it takes. That's what leadership is all about. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.